2020 has been quite a year. Of course, the coronavirus has covered the entire planet. But in addition, we've had massive outbreaks of dengue fever and Ebola, particularly in the East and in Africa. Massive wildfires, brush fires, and bushfires in California, Australia, and the Amazon, covering uh, approximately one-third of the Southern Hemisphere. Natural disasters all over the United States. Hurricanes, tornadoes, cyclones, floods, breach dams, tropical storms, and tsunamis in the South Pacific. Massive political unrest, I'm sure you're aware. Divisive leadership, many examples at all levels of abuse of power, which definitely includes the power of the media to spin a story whichever way they choose, at whatever cost they decide that we should pay for deepening the divide between us. Murder hornets? Cicada infestations and plagues of locusts all over North Africa and the ever-present threat of nuclear war, not to mention Nickelback has announced they're releasing new music. Terrible. Terrible. We live in a time of remarkable calamity. And of course, it's no wonder that people keep making comparisons between what's happening now and either the Exodus stories in the Bible or the proclamations and warnings and woes in the book of Revelation. I mean, it, it does feel apocalyptic. It does feel revelatory. It does feel catastrophic and dramatic and confusing. And I've got three big questions for us about this time. First of all, like what, what time is it? Meaning like what, what year am I living in right now? Like there's, there's race riots all over the United States. There's, there's again, the, the threat of nuclear war. And, and one of the big sound bites that everybody keeps proclaiming is the importance of voting. Like, what? Racism? Voting in nuclear war? What? Is it, what? Is it 1950? What? Am I on a time machine? Did I just go back to the suckiest era in human history and am reliving it over and over and over again, but with bigger bugs? Like, this is insane. How are these the issues of our day? What, what time is it? And maybe a better question, the second question, is whose time is it? And then I go, well, this answer is even worse than the first one, because it's, it's our time. I didn't want this time. I wanted the time where pastors were celebrated and lauded for their noble sacrifices on, behar- uh, on behalf of their people, instead of, of clergy of all stripes being lambasted and lampooned at, at, with the accusations against the, the Catholic Church. I, I wanted a time where people were celebrated for their differences and where we could embrace one another, despite the fact that we look a little different, instead of having people look at me sideways because I, I've got tattoos. Like I, I wanted the time where increasingly we understand that we, we, we come together in acts of, of loving kindness, self-sacrifice, and creative expression to, to demonstrate the glory and grandeur of God. Not, not a time where everybody's fighting over their own little cor- corner of Christian spirituality so that we can better fight against everybody who calls themselves by a different religion. I mean, this time sucks. I don't want this time. But I don't get to pick when I live. And neither do you. We're alive now. And this time is ours. Which means we've got to figure out what we're going to do with it. How we're going to live in the midst of it. And who God is forging us into through the process of it. So what time is it? Now. Whose time is it? It's ours. Yay. 
And the third question is, is which time is it? Now, I learned a, a little grammatical lesson this week that there's a difference between asking a what question and a which question. A what question is an open-ended question. You know, you could, you could give any answer. But a which question is a question that delineates between very specific answers. So which time is it? Um, well, in, in the biblical language, there's, um, there's a difference between two kinds of time, uh, kairos and chronos. And, and this is very well-worn territory among preachers and theologians, and probably for most of you, you've probably heard sermons or mentions of the difference between kairos and chronos. And it's in Greek literature. Heraclitus wrote about it. Um, uh, Hippocrates wrote about it. I mean, Sophocles wrote about it. I mean, it's a really common, common bit of differentiating between k- kinds of time. Chronos time is just normally, normal time, like the difference between 12 p.m. and 1 p.m. It's business as usual. The same old, same old. Chronos is just time passing. But Kairos time is like a timely moment, or it's time to seize the day, or it's time for a change, or it's time right now to act. So we've got to ask ourselves, which time is it? 2020, with its, with its plagues, with its political and civil unrest, with its race riots. 2020, with its Black Lives Matter. 2020, with its coronavirus and its social distancing. Which time is this? Is this just time? Is this Kronos or is this, or is it time? Is it Kairos? Is this a time for us to wake up, to recognize that we are in a season of remarkable significance and to change? I think it's obvious it has to be the latter. If we're to greet the rest of this year, the rest of our lives with anything other than a sense of futility, we must understand that these remarkable circumstances require a remarkable response from the people of God. That's you. That's you. And that's me. Ecclesiastes chapter three. For everything, there's a season and a time for every matter under heaven. There's a time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep, a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silent and a time to speak a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What time are you living in? It's possible that you're stuck in a different time zone than the rest of us. But for those of us who know that right now in our time, it's time to change. For those of us who understand this is a Kairos moment, I want you to know that in a time like this, people like us, do things like these. Let me give you six things 
that real Christian people are doing right now all the time. Six things that you're doing, six things that I'm doing, six things that we are going to continue to do, that we are going to do more intensely, that we're going to do more prophetically, that we're going to do more passionately, that we're going to do with greater love and Christ-like significance. Six things that people like us do like this in a time like now. Number one, we testify. Other people might comment. They might snipe. They might make little remarks. They might, what, no, no. We testify. The people of God proclaim what is good and right and holy. We look for examples of people doing it right, and we elevate the examples of what is good and holy, not what is stupid and useless and futile and divisive. Now, whatever side of the aisle you come from, and there's more than two, please understand, there are good people around you Start celebrating the good things that they do instead of commenting on the bad things that somebody else does. Our world is radically transformed when we testify to the goodness of God, when we stand in line with our convictions and we shine a light on the things that are healing, loving, and self-sacrificing. So please, everybody, let's bring something new to the conversation. We don't need to rehash what this media outlet said. We don't need to rehash what this person said that was grumpy on Facebook. We don't need to find the biggest idiot from the other side of the aisle and go, oh my gosh, look at what a dumb, dumb head they are. We you better let everybody know that everybody that's not like us is dumb. No, that's not what the people of God do. We don't comment. We don't snipe. We don't need to make snide remarks. We are here to testify that God is on the move, that God's spirit is on the prowl, that God is raising up noble men and women. I'm preaching too much too early here, but just hang on because there's good stuff happening, man. We see it all over the place. Yesterday, downtown, there were protests in Jackson, Michigan, and those protests were full of Christian pastors, Christian men and women locking arms saying, we see what's going on, and we don't know what all the answers are, but we know we're not going to stand off to the sidelines. Yesterday, there were prayerful protests. Yesterday, there were people gathered in prayer, harmonizing, loving on each other. Those are good things happening. So, let's shine a light on the people who are doing it right. I heard testimony from people who said that they'd suffered suffered injustice at the hands of the authorities, and that they were ready to move on and find positive solutions. They weren't glorying in their victimization. They were talking about how we as a society move forward. That's something good. We ought to testify to that, that God has hope and healing and promise for our nation and for our planet because we are one people. We are one family. We together are the body of Christ, black, white, young, old, tattooed, and ugly. All of us together, man. That's something worth testifying about. And as the people of God, that's what we're going to do. That's what we're going to do. We testify. Number two, we serve. We don't help. We serve. Helping is what you do if you don't know somebody and you don't really care. You know, somebody drops something at the grocery store, a head of lettuce, you bend over, you pick it up, you hand them their head of lettuce. That doesn't make you a remarkable Christian. That just makes you a normal human. Maybe you had a good mom who taught you how to be polite at the grocery store. No, Christians, people like us, we serve. We serve because our model, our example is King Jesus, the king who served who descended, who divested himself of his divine privileges, who took on the form of a servant and actually served. He washed feet. So you and I, as followers of Jesus, as lovers of Jesus, as imitators of Christ, we serve. That's our high and holy calling, not to help out, 
not to just, you know, be good neighbors. No, it's bigger than that. It's more noble than that. We deepen our understanding of help and assistance, of charity and reparations. We deepen our understanding of our relationship to our fellow human being. We are biblically ministers. We are deacons. That's what the word deacon means. Did you know that? The word deacon, diakonos, the Greek word, it means waitress. We are waitresses serving God's grace to the world. We're not, we're not helping, we're, we're serving and there's a huge difference between somebody telling you, you know, that you're less than them and you deciding that the greatest of us will become the servant of all. So instead of waiting for somebody to push you down, instead of you being nervous about somebody pushing you down, remember, Jesus is already beneath you. He's gone lower than you're ever going to go. So you can pay attention to all those people out there or you can pay attention to Jesus the author and finisher of our faith, the source and our substance of human becoming, and you can, you can get yourself lower until you are holy like Jesus. We testify, we serve. Number three, we grieve. We, we grieve. We don't sympathize. We don't empathize. We're not trite. We're not offering platitudes. We, we grieve. When one of us hurts, we all hurt. When one of us suffers, we all suffer. Now, now, there are people suffering all over the world. And so we become compassion fatigued. We, we run out of cares to give. We, we run out of feelings. And that's why as the people of God, we deepen our life of prayer so that the Lord will continually break open our hearts. The Lord will continually break open our spirits that over and over and over again, we would be people of tender hearts, not of people who are, not, not people who are hard hearted. That, that's what we want. We want to be people who like Jesus weep over the city of Jerusalem. We want to be people who like Jesus weep in prayer. We want to mourn with those who mourn. And, and right now, a vast majority of our country is mourning. And, and if we're tone deaf to that, if we're ignorant of that, then shame on us. We, we grieve with those who grieve. And, and in the aftermath of, of natural disaster, we, we grieve. We grieve. In the aftermath of civil unrest, in the midst of racial unrest, we, we grieve. We pray that God would break our hearts to the level that every broken heart is hurting now. That's what Christian people do. That's what we've done since the beginning. It is our high and holy calling. Number four, we rejoice. We don't, we don't just congratulate somebody. We don't want to just give a little click of a button on, on the Facebook thing so that they get a thumbs up, or we don't want to just give them a little heart emoji. I mean, those things are nice and good, but we ought to be people of remarkable celebration. I mean, if we're going to authenticate the lowest of the low, we better, in all fairness, authenticate the highest of the high, the joy that comes from knowing Jesus, the deep, enduring happiness of God that helps us rise up above our circumstances, get up and keep moving when we feel like all hope is lost, and we can't do that unless we also acknowledge that there are some spectacular things going on right now. People are still getting married in the midst of all this nonsense. People are still getting to come together and love on one another. Restaurants are opening up again. Our cities, our parks are opening up again. This is cause for celebration, man. We ought to be throwing parties for all the parties that we missed. All the birthdays that we missed, we ought to rebirthday them. All, all the graduations that we missed, we ought to spoil them rotten. We ought to honk our horns and wave our flags and celebrate one another and high five and cheers and all the rest. We ought to be people of remarkable and 
a holy joy. Because that's who we are as followers of Jesus. I mean, Jesus, for all the things he was lambasted for, chief among them was the fact that he was always having a good time. I don't know how that's even possible. The guy was around for three years in public ministry, had some pressures there, got a little stressed out a few times, you know, had all this nonsense with the blood and the Garden of Gethsemane, then he was murdered, betrayed, all the rest of it. But still, the thing that they were most mad about him was that he was like a party animal, which is hilarious to me. I always like to imagine Jesus with his long flowing hair, like on a pontoon boat with some cheap shades from the gas station. I just think that's a fun, that's a fun Jesus. That's a fun Jesus, the rejoicing Jesus. Number six, we are people who bear witness. We don't, we don't just watch what's happening. There's a huge difference between bearing witness and, and watching, a huge difference between actually seeing and, and absorbing what's happening and, and just seeing it from a distance. You know, when we distance ourselves from the heartache and the pain and the suffering of other people, when we distance ourselves from the struggle of other people, when we just sort of watch it like it's on television or like it's on Facebook or, 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 or watch it like it's through a screen, I mean, it's, a, it's, just, it's just a different experience. You, 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 gotta, you gotta get out your house. You gotta go somewhere. You gotta see some stuff firsthand. You, you gotta get around people who are hurting and bear witness. I mean, I, I cannot easily count the number of times I've been in someone's home after a death in the family. And you know what? There's nothing you can say that makes it all better. You can't. You, there's no, you, you can read scripture, that helps. You, you can pray, that helps. No, nothing takes away the pain. And what matters most is just you being there, holding their hand, crying with them, sitting with them, and bearing witness to their loss. Now, can you, can you imagine if somebody dies and I say, hey, I, I'm sorry I can't be there, but l- let me go ahead and, and, and uh, how about I FaceTime you? Or I'll, I'll, I'll set up a Zoom call and we can have a, a, like a grief share meeting online. I'll get some other pastors around and, and you can look at your laptop while you mourn the loss of the person you loved. Uh, technology can do a lot, but it can't hold your hand. It can't, it can't catch your tears. And church, we have a responsibility to be the first people back out into the world catching tears. The first people back out in the world holding hands. And there's not just one or two places that need that. There's not just one or two issues that need that. God needs every one of you to understand that you are here to be a minister of healing and reconciliation. Everywhere you go, every time you encounter somebody at a gas station, every employee you got, every friend you got, every time you see the neighbors, when you go out deliberately to go do some good or when you just go out accidentally because you need to get some groceries, you are always on duty to bear witness and be in solidarity with a world that needs hope and healing. Last but not least, number six, people like us in times like these, we discern, we discern, we don't judge. There's a huge difference. See, judging is trying to figure out what kind of wrong the other person is. Like, are you criminally wrong or are you just a bit dumb? 
You know, are, are, are you racist or are you careless? Are you an absolute and total fool or, or are you just uneducated? I mean, that, that's what judging is. We, we don't judge. Judge not, lest you yourself be judged. Somebody smart said that one time. No, but we do discern. And discernment is a question that we ask ourselves when we say, where's the right place and what's the right way for me to get involved? Where's the right place and what's the right way for you to get involved? Because it's not a one-size-fits-all solution, and it's not just one issue that everybody ought to be thinking about. The truth is, our world is corrupted. Our world is broken. Our world is festering. Creation groans, waiting in eager anticipation for the people of God to be revealed. That's you. That's you. The whole world is waiting for you. So discern. Where's the best place for you to get involved? Where's the best place for you to step in and make a difference? And, and, and when? Now, that question when brings us right back to the very beginning where we ask, what time is this? And whose time is this? And which time is this? The truth is, it's our time now to change. Time is now, and it's ours. And this is a Kairos moment where you and I have got to make great changes inside of ourselves, around ourselves, and in the world. And the biblical word for change, it's the word repent. So friends, let us repent of all the good we have not done, of all the evil we have wrought, either intentionally or otherwise. And let us stand together as the people of God saying, this time is ours. And we give it to you, Lord, as an offering. Amen.